Alrighty, it is a uh, beautiful Saturday morning. That music means one thing. We all jump out of a helicopter and solve crime. No, it means we do the Disability Law Show. John Scholes here and James Fireman, Sam Fury, Tamark, and LLP. James, the guy with all the answers and also the guy you want to reach out to when this hour of radio is done going forward. And uh, how do you do it? Simple, really simple. Help at disabilityrights.ca and 1-855-821-5900 to reach James and his crew. we got a lot to get through, a lot of uh, emails and questions from mydisabilityquestions.com as well. But we always kick things off. James, get it warmed up a bit with a uh, bit of a week that was or something you've been working on, pal. What do you got? Well, I thought it would be a good idea to start the show with a particular topic that seems to be a concern for just about everybody that I talk to, or at least everybody who's dealing with their insurance company. And that's the issue of timing. Timing is really critical in everything that we're doing. And so first and foremost, there is timing in the sense of when you contact a lawyer if you're having an issue with your insurer. And I would always encourage you to do it as soon as you can. That doesn't mean you have to hire a lawyer anytime you have a problem. And indeed, one of the hallmarks of St. Fierce Markin is that we offer free consultations and it doesn't have to be at a stage where your insurer has denied your benefits. If you are having an issue, even though you're still on claim with your insurer, call us and get some information. And the reason you want to do that is just to make sure that you maintain your benefits as long as possible. Ideally, that's what everybody wants to do. They want to keep getting those benefits for as long as they remain disabled. But we also know that even if you continue to be disabled, your insurer eventually is going to turn their mind to trying to find some justification Mm -hmm. to getting you off claim. They don't want to keep paying your benefits. And so then the question becomes, when do you want to bring a lawsuit? Do you want to do this appeal first and wait until that's done? Or do you want to start a lawsuit before? And the answer, of course, if you've ever listened to an episode of this show, is you don't appeal. It is a waste of time. There is no reason for an insurer to actually fairly review your appeal, because if they don't, there's no consequence to it. So they have no motivation whatsoever to reverse their decision, and they have a lot of motivation to maintain a denial. So the answer to that in terms of timing is you want to bring your claim, the lawsuit, as soon as you can. As soon as your insurance company tells you that they are going to be cutting you off, even if it is at some date down the road, which happens quite frequently, as soon as they confirm for you that they have made that decision that your benefits will stop on a particular date, that's when you want to bring your claim as soon as you can. So let's say you're on claim right now and the change of definition, which is an important benchmark in the long-term disability process because it's when the test changes and is often when insurance companies will cut off benefits. Usually it's two years after your benefits start. And let's say that is six months away. It is not at all uncommon for insurance companies to decide that they are going to cut your benefits off at that change of definition and tell you well in advance. And so if that's six months away and your insurance company has told you that on that date, your benefits are going to be terminated because they've made the determination that you will no longer meet their test of disabled under the policy, then you should bring your claim today or as soon as as soon as you possibly can. And the reason is quite simple. And this is getting to the other part of timing. The timing to bring a legal claim, a lawsuit, in order to get from start to finish, 
is usually around 10 to 12 months. Now, that seems like quite a long time. I can tell you, I've been practicing for the better part of 20 years doing civil litigation, and most of the last seven, eight years has been almost all long-term disability. In terms of civil litigation, bringing lawsuits that aren't a, you know, a criminal case, that is lightning fast. Hmm. Most, most lawsuits take three, four, five years. In long-term disability, particularly with our firm, we have it down to about 10 to 12 months from the date someone signs a retainer until we resolve the case. And that is always our objective. It can occasionally be sooner, but that should be the expectation. And that presents a problem for most people for good reason. Because if you are in a dispute with your insurer because they're not paying your benefits, it means you are not getting benefits from your insurer, obviously, and you're also not getting any income, which means you don't have any money coming in. And unless you qualify for government assistance, that puts you in a difficult financial situation. And so what we want to do is minimize the amount of time where you do not have any money coming in. And the only way to do that is to start your claim as soon as you can. And so if your insurer is giving you advance notice that this is coming, then you want to start your claim right now. You don't want to wait until the money stops because then it will delay when you get to resolution, which means you're going to have to float yourself for three, four, five, six extra months in order to get the resolution. So that is another part of the timing issue that I'm talking about. Now, the last part of the timing issue is in terms of that 10 to 12 months that I referenced before. That is typically how long it takes if things go the way they typically do. We start the claim as soon as we're retained. We serve it on the insurance company. They respond back. We schedule a mediation, which is usually around the 10 to 12 months after the retainer has been signed. And almost always at the mediation, we're going to get a resolution. That happens the vast majority of the time. And if you're starting a claim, that could reasonably be your expectation. You're not likely to be disappointed. However, what I will say is that somewhat more frequently, we are seeing claims resolved before mediation. I don't ever push for a resolution before mediation. And the reason is simple. Even though I want to resolve claims as soon as I can, there's no benefit to me in dragging anything out. I don't approach insurers to resolve before mediation because if I were to do so, the insurance company is going to conclude either that my client is in desperate financial need to resolve the case or my client's ready to go back to work. Right, right. Both of which are probably not true, but if they come to either conclusion, they're going to lowball. They're never going to give a reasonable offer. And so I won't reach out to resolve before the mediation, but insurers will do that on occasion. If they realize that it may be in their best interest to resolve the case now, or if they think they can get it done without having to go to the time and expense of mediation, then they'll reach out to me and then it can be done in three or four months. And I'm seeing that happen a little bit more often, and it is with insurers that I deal with frequently, and particularly with lawyers that are on the other side working for insurance companies that know my firm, that know me, and understand that it isn't going to save them a dime by tracking it out to mediation. They're going to have to pay one way or the other. And so it's in their best interest, interest to try and resolve it as soon as they can and not have to spend the extra time and money of going to a mediation. So we are seeing that happen more frequently. But it is important that that everyone who is in this process 
understands all of those timing issues because wherever you are there's going to be an issue and you don't want to drag things out you don't want to spend more time without having benefits coming in and so it is important that you act relatively quickly so whether it's three or four months where the insurance company comes in early to wrap this up knowing who they're up against or if it does go to 10 to 12 months before it uh the lawsuit comes to fruition after you filed do they have to still pay you or pay the the person who's on claim during that waiting time they still have to pay yeah or will they try to get out of it even then like 10 months i guess would be a better better example but so you're still getting your payments during that 12 months till it gets to mediation yeah no, what we're talking about is someone who's been cut off. Oh, already so, cut off. Okay, so was... the the difference is, though, if let's say we're going back to that scenario where uh, the the person ha- is on claim, but they're told that six months from now they're going to be cut off at that change of definition. And so anyone out there who's worried, oh, well, if I bring a lawsuit now, they're not going to pay me those extra six months. I yes. can tell you I've never seen that happen. Okay. So let's say let's say you bring a claim now and we don't get to mediation for the 10 to 12 months, which is typical. That's the timeline I set mm-hmm. out. And so that means there's expected to be six more months of payments until you get to that change of definition. And then only three or four months after that until you get to that mediation. If anybody is worried that by starting the claim, the insurance company is going to retaliate in some way and cut off benefits, you needn't worry. I've never once seen that happen. And there would be really no incentive for an insurance company to do that. The reality is, as soon as they know that you've hired a lawyer and you've brought a claim, they are very eager in almost every case to come to the table and resolve because they know that they're going to have to. Once you've started a lawsuit and put the claim in the jurisdiction of the courts, ultimately, if things aren't resolved, the insurance company knows that they now have to be reasonable. It's why I said before that the appeal is a waste of time. Right. In the appeal process, at the end of the day, if the insurer isn't reasonable, there's no consequence to it. There's nobody looking over their shoulder that is going to punish the insurance company for failing to be reasonable. As soon as you have brought a lawsuit, you've hired a lawyer, you've brought a lawsuit, the insurance company knows they continue to act unreasonably. Ultimately, it would wind up in front of a judge and a judge would say, not only do you have to pay pay the benefits, but because of how unreasonable you're also going to have to pay punitive damages. Now, I don't want anybody listening to think that that is the typical way that this goes. It's actually really unusual for a long-term disability case to wind up in court. In in typical years, you can usually count on one hand the number of long-term disability cases across the country that wind up going to trial. It is just very unusual. Does that mean it's impossible? No. It could happen in theory. Of course, there are the handful of cases every year that do wind up going to trial, but it is unusual, and that shouldn't be your expectation. And with that, we'll slide into a quick break and get to your questions. Again, two ways to do it. My disability questions, well, three, mydisabilityquestions.com. You can go to help at disabilityrights.ca or phone us here live on air. Good plan, 416-872-1010 and the text number as well, 71010. Again, 416-872-1010 to talk to us live or text us at 71010. And we continue. Lots more. The Disability Law Show is coming right up. Hang on. 
And welcome back to it. It is 120 here. You still got plenty of opportunity. If you've got a phone nearby, any questions that you do, uh, want to ask James about, uh, maybe you're dealing with a disability insurer. Maybe you've been, like we talked about in the first segment, told that you're going to be cut off in the near future, told to appeal. The appeal didn't work. Maybe you're calling for a friend or a uh, colleague, family member. No sweat. You can bring it off for the remainder of the hour. That's 416-872-1010. There's no dumb questions. So don't worry about that or text 71010. And the email, which we're going to get to very shortly, is help at disabilityrights.ca. And uh, the guys of the firm, James included, put together this website called mydisabilityquestions.com. The beauty is it's a searchable website. The uh, The database is searchable. So a question similar to yours may have been asked previously. You can just read it and walk away or leave your question there anonymously as well. And that's where we're going to go to now, James, from MyDisabilityQuestions.com says, guys, I'm looking for a lawyer that has experience handling situations with a rehabilitation clinic hired by my insurer. I've already received a threatening letter from my insurer that my file is in review, possible termination of my benefits. My mental health is worse. I've relapsed, recovering alcoholic, after seven years sober and forced to attend these sessions that are solely based on fear and intimidation. I suffer from a variety of chronic mental health issues and my health is deteriorating significantly. James, what do you think, pal? Well, there's two ways I want to come at this. And Mm -hmm. one is prospectively, which isn't going to help the person who wrote in, unfortunately. But I will address that in a moment. Um, What I mean by that, though, is this is already at a point where this person who's writing in has agreed to attend treatment at a clinic that has been chosen by the insurance company and has wound up in a situation where he or she is undergoing treatment that they feel is actually harmful to them and is probably suggesting that there is no disability or not a disability that's preventing them from working and is undermining their claim. Mm-hmm. And that happens. That happens because the insurance companies typically are going to use known clinics, clinics that they've worked with in the past and provide them the results that they're looking for. And think about that for a If you're an insurance company, what are you looking for? Are you looking for a clinic that is going to do the proper rehabilitation, even if it takes longer than you might like, and make sure that the person is going to be okay in the long run? Or are you going to go with the clinic that is going to do whatever they can to get the person to be at a level where it appears that they can go back to work and report that they're okay? It's always going to be the latter. They want someone who's going to do the quickest job that they can use to justify terminating benefits. They are not going to hire clinics who are putting their claimant's health first and foremost. And obviously, if you are someone who's disabled, you don't want treatment from any service provider that isn't doing that. You want to limit your treatment to only clinics that are there to ensure that you recover as much as you can, not necessarily as fast as you can, but as well as you can. That's what's really important. And so what do you do if you're in this situation and your insurance company is telling you that you need to go to this clinic or that? Well, first and foremost, whatever treatment your insurance company is telling you that you need, you want to run that by your own doctor first. Typically, we're talking about your family doctor. Uh, If you are seeing a specialist and the treatment they are suggesting is relevant to what that specialist has expertise in, then perhaps run it by them. But you want 
to have your own treating doctors review the treatment plan of the insurance company, review what the insurance company is saying you need to do and tell you whether or not it's necessary and something that might be useful. If they are saying it's not necessary or even worse, that it's going to harm you, then you want to get your treatment providers, your doctors to put that in writing and very clearly spell out why the treatment that the insurance company is suggesting is inappropriate and why it might be harmful. And I would absolutely strongly encourage everyone to then refuse to go to any treatment that your doctors are telling you is inappropriate. Now, there is a practical reality to that, which is if you do that and the insurance company is being unreasonable, they're going to cut off your benefits. But in my view, your health is first and foremost. You have to prioritize that above everything else. But not everybody has that luxury. And so, you know, if you're in that situation and your financial reality is that you have to do everything that you can in order to keep the benefits for as long as possible, then you have to make a decision which is going to be more important, your long-term health or the, the monthly benefits that you're getting from your insurer. Hopefully, it's going to be the former, but as long as you understand what the trade-off is and you are able to understand the consequence of it, then, you know, as an adult, you make your own decision. And that's fine. Now, dealing with the situation as it is for the person that texted it uh, or sent this email to mydisabilityquestions.com, they're already in that situation. They're already going to this treatment that's been recommended by their their insurer, and they've the insurer has chosen this clinic, and it is backfiring for not for the insurer for the person who's written into us because the insurance company is threatening them. The clinic is providing uh, treatment that is aggravating the mental health of this person, and it's a bad situation. So what do you do at this point? Well, it's a similar way that you approach it. You go to your own treating doctors first. So in this case, if this is a mental health disability, we're talking about your therapist, your psychiatrist, even your family doctor, and have that, make sure that you report to them the issues that you're having with this treatment provider and have them advise whether or not this is something that you should continue. You also need to make sure that you're reporting this to the insurance company directly reporting the issues that you are having, anything that the clinic is doing that you feel is inappropriate should be reported immediately. And if this is a situation where they are actively making your condition worse, you have to stop going. You just have to stop. And if the insurance company cuts you off as a result, they're not entitled to do that. And if they do that, even though the clinic is harming you, then we start a lawsuit. And that's how you deal with it. Uh, you know, at a certain point, you have to prioritize your health. And if you are being forced to go to a clinic that is making your situation your situation worse, at a certain point, you have to make that call. And so that's the way that I would deal with it. Um, John, as I'm, uh, I think that's about all I need to say on that. But I do notice that we have uh, a couple of texts that came in from the same person. Um, those ones look all right. Uh, yeah, you know, if you have them, you can read them because they're not up on my screen. <laughs> sure. Okay. So, so we have a texture that wrote in and said, I continue to receive benefits past the two-year mark and change of definition. I've been approved for CPP disability. How can I tell my LTD about CPP disability? And can I negotiate with my LTD to keep some of the retroactive CPP has sent me? 
I'm in collection and would like to pay some of my creditors. Thank you. So this is an issue that arises when you're dealing with uh, with insurance and you're getting paid and you get approved for CPP disability. Mm-hmm. Very often, particularly when you're getting close to that change of definition, the insurance company will require you to apply for CPP disability. And if you're approved, what happens is the insurance company is actually entitled to offset whatever CPP disability benefits you get each month against what they owe. So let's say you're getting $4,000 a month in long-term disability and you get approved for CPP disability for $1,000 a month. Now the insurer is only going to pay you $3,000. So you don't wind up with more money. So why do you do it? Because the policy says, unfortunately, that you have to. If you don't, then the insurance company can estimate what you likely would have got and just deduct it without actually paying you that amount, even though you're not getting the CPP disability. So you have to apply for it. And if you get approved, it's really just a benefit for your insurance company, which isn't you know, something that people get too excited about. The issue that this person is asking about, though, is retroactive payments. And so when you apply for CPP disability, if you're approved, you can get up to one year of retroactive benefits if you can show you were disabled for that period of time. And so that's what's happened in this particular case. And the person is asking whether or not they can negotiate. Uh, We're going to pick this up after the break because I see we're up against it right now. And we'll talk about what happens with retroactive CPP disability payments. Perfect. Again, your text to come through 71010, like the one James is reading, uh, phone number 416-872-1010. Bring it on. Lots more of the Disability Law Show is on the way. Stand by. Welcome back, indeed. One thirty-five Saturday afternoon. Good to have you along for the show. We got a couple texts. We got to get through again. James are piling up, but uh, continue on where you left off with our previous one, pal. Let's wrap that sure. up. Sure. So we had someone text in that was asking about CPP disability and retroactive payments. So CPP disability is the federal government program that will provide you monthly benefits if you are disabled and have been paying into CPP for I think at least four of the last six years. And so what happens when you apply, if you're approved, you often will also be approved retroactively up to one year from the time that you made the application. And so if you're getting $1,000 a month, let's say approved benefit, that means $12,000 in retroactive pay as well. Unfortunately, this is the property of your insurance company if they were paying benefits during that time. So if your insurance company was paying benefits for any portion of that retroactive period for that portion that they were paying benefits, they are entitled to an offset for up to the amount of that monthly uh, CPP disability benefit. So unfortunately, it isn't something that you're really going to be able to negotiate if you're still on claim. If, however, what happens sometimes if they were to cut off your claim and you were subsequently approved for CPP disability and provided retroactive benefits. Mm -hmm. And those benefits happen to overlap with the period where you were paid. You would technically be required to repay that to the insurance company. But if when your insurer has denied your claim, you started a lawsuit, typically speaking, the insurer won't insist on you repaying those benefits right away. They'll let you hold on to it until the lawsuit is resolved. 
And usually within the lawsuit, it's then negotiated as an offset against what they owe. But whether it's done dollar for dollar at a certain point, it's really hard to keep track. Um, it is something, it is an offset that they are entitled to for sure. But that's really the only way that you can negotiate it is if you have been denied your benefits and then subsequently approved for CPP disability with retroactive payments. Gotcha. Good stuff. Uh, another text coming in here says, hey, guys, uh, what do you do if the LTD insurer keeps reminding you of the change in wording at the two-year mark, but haven't confirmed they're cutting you off? Just hinted. Can you commence a lawsuit before that happens, like you spoke about earlier, to cut down the amount of time without payment? Thank you. What do you think, Paul? Well, first of all, I think I'm very pleased to have someone from New Brunswick right. listening in online. Uh, so thank you for, for texting that question in. Uh you you wouldn't bring a claim in that situation though and the reason is simple even though it might sound ominous the reality is that virtually every insurer that i'm aware of is going to have an automatic letter generated at a certain point in time in the process where they're going to let you know about that change of definition sometimes it's a year in advance sometimes it's six months sometimes it varies depending on how they have internally categorized your claim if they think it's a long-term claim versus a contestable claim that might change the timing of when they let you know that this change of definition is coming up that the definition they use to determine whether you're entitled to continue receiving benefits changes at that two-year mark and so can you start the claim you can't because they haven't actually said that they're cutting you off. Now, right. in this particular situation, I gather that the uh, the author of this text message is suggesting that it isn't just one letter. It's they keep reminding this person that this is coming up as if to say, just so you know, this is coming up. I don't know if that also means you're probably going to get cut off or not. But the reality is, even if they were to say, it doesn't look like you're going to get your benefits beyond there. That still wouldn't be enough. They have to actually make a decision. The decision has to be, we've decided that as of this date, you, you will no longer receive benefits. And they will send you a letter that confirms that in writing, usually within a day or two of having told you that. And it'll spell out the useless appeal process, mm-hmm. as well as some other, uh, some other details of their decision. But until you get a clear decision... No, you wouldn't start a lawsuit at that point. Another text still, again, that number, by the way, we use, guys, 71010. You can also call the radio station if you prefer. That's 416-872-1010. Says, uh, this one's local. Toronto says, hello, I'm on STD, breast cancer. I had multiple surgeries, and the second surgery caused nerve damage. I have sleeping issues. Working with my doctor for the pain. Going to meet the lymph- uh, lymphedema. Lymph- that's a hard Lymphedema. Word. Thank you, clinic, for uh, that as well. My STD will end August 6th. Yesterday morning, case manager said in a follow-up that she will be referring my file for rehabilitation for my eventual return to work. Based on my pain, nerve damage, lymphedema, and not sleeping well, can I refuse rehabilitation and speak to my doctor about this? The case manager did reassure me eventual when I uh, questioned uh, that I'm not... uh, not In a state. In a state, right? It's a little weird typing. A lot of state to work when I'm not sleeping and still working with a therapist for my anxiety. What do I do about the rehabilitation, uh, rehabilitation referral? Thank you. Well, so here is the way I would answer this. The, mm-hmm. 
the question that I'm bumping on here is, can I refuse the rehabilitation and speak to my doctor about this? The answer is really you have to reverse that. Speak to your doctor first. You want to speak to your doctor first and see whether the rehabilitation that your insurer is recommending or perhaps even telling you to do is something that is reasonable and that will be helpful for you. If your doctor, and in this case, you know, possibly uh, your specialist is saying no, then absolutely you can and should refuse it. You should refuse anything that is not going to be medically in your best interest, regardless of what your insurance company says. You don't take medical advice from insurance insurance companies or from lawyers. Your medical advice should be coming from your doctors, from your treatment providers, from people who are educated in medicine, not people who are ed- educated in insurance or law or something else. That's who you want to rely on for your medical decisions. So talk to your doctor first. If your doctor says it's reasonable, then you have to consider whether or not you want to go to the clinic that they're recommending. I would suggest you say, sure, I'll have the, I'll do this rehabilitation that you're suggesting, assuming your doctor approves of it, but I'm going to go to this other clinic that your doctor recommended. And that's the way I would approach it in that circumstance. But you know, I wouldn't just outright refuse that particular type of rehabilitation, even though you feel that it's probably not in your best interest interest and for good reason. And you know, I understand what the concern is here for sure when the insurer is talking about eventual return to work. Rest assured that's the only thing the insurance company is looking for here. They're looking for the quickest path to put you back at work getting a paycheck so that they don't have to continue paying benefits even if doing it in that way in that timeline is not in your best interest. They're not concerned about your best interests overall. They're just concerned about the quickest way to stop having to pay you those monthly benefits. So by all means, talk to your doctor first, see what your doctor says. If your doctor says no, then yeah, I would refuse that. Absolutely. And will they, will they, you will find a lot of pushback, even though you have your doctor's backing on this could be repeatedly. It depends on the particular circumstances and what's being recommended. If the doctor is saying, well, I don't know that this is really necessary, the insurance company still might say, well, we disagree. We think it is, and we're going to insist on it. On the other hand, if the doctor, if your doctor is saying, not only is this not necessary, it's unreasonable, and there is a good chance that it's going to cause harm that it is going to be uh, in the worst interest of this particular patient, and I've told them not to do it. If the insurance company gets that kind of information from the the treating doctor and still insists that you get that treatment, Mm -hmm. then they're opening themselves up to punitive damages. If they insist that you go in those circumstances, I still wouldn't do it, but you you know understand that they're going to cut off your benefits. But then if they have done that and you bring a lawsuit, you're going to be not you're going to be entitled not only to the benefits that they ought to have paid, but also to punitive damages because they have not acted in good faith. Quick break back with more by the way to reach out to James after the show if you prefer a private conversation no problem 1-855-821-5900 help at disabilityrights.ca we continue for disability launch you betcha we are back and i uh, got a few minutes to go email address help at disabilityrights.ca 
And you can reach out to James after the show as well. He's got a great team. Uh, they'll, they'll get you back to you for sure. one 821 5900 But let's get to Michelle's emails. Guys, been on LCD since 2019 due to severe depression. My psychiatrist suggested that I find a job or volunteer opportunity nearby for positive structure, likely minimum wage and fewer than 12 hours per week. My benefits booklet instructs. What is not covered? We will not pay benefits for any period that you do any work for wage or profit except as approved by insurer. So does asking my insurer if I can do this minimal work on my doctor's recommendation jeopardize my LTD coverage? I'm concerned if they ask, they will think I'm capable of working full-time and cancel my coverage. I appreciate your help, and I'm willing to reimburse you for your time. Wow. It is a very insightful question. Michelle is uh, reading the the situation quite appropriately. So first and foremost, if you are on benefits and you are at a point where you're contemplating a return to work and you want to do it in a gradual way, you know, maybe dipping your toes in the water to make sure it's okay, uh, you, you want to be looking at it from the same perspective Michelle is, looking at what you're allowed to do within the confines of what's written in the policy and then considering the best way to go about it. And most policies are going to have a provision that is similar to the one Michelle has included in her email that appears in her policy, which is simply that if you do any work while you are getting benefits that is not pre-approved by the insurer, then they're going to stop paying the benefits. Hmm. Doesn't mean you can't do anything or you can't do a gradual return, but your insurer is entitled to know about that and to monitor that situation. And so Michelle is also quite correctly concerned that if she starts down this path, the insurer may well use that as the basis for an argument that she's no longer disabled and can return full time. And she's not wrong for having that concern. Now, this won't necessarily mean that in every case, once you go down this road, that no matter what happens, you're going to get cut off your benefits very shortly. I'm not suggesting that. But what I am saying is once you raise this, once you raise the desire to attempt to return to work, even if it is in something far more limited and in only limited hours, it is going to bring attention to your file. There is no way around that. Your claims handler is going to start taking a hard look at your file and look at what you are now capable of doing and start looking for ways that they might be able to get you off claim. And whether that is just simply making the argument or perhaps taking a step further and saying, okay, well, if you are only able to have the stamina to do it for this number of hours right now, maybe there's rehab that we can do that can improve that. And that might be appropriate. It may well be if it's a stamina issue that there's rehabilitation that can help with that. But the point is this. Once you go down that road, once you broach that with your insurer, you do have to be prepared for more scrutiny on your claim. That is what is going to be coming. It's not always necessarily the case that it will result in a termination, but you are increasing the likelihood that it will happen. Does this mean you shouldn't go down that road? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Hmm. I'm just saying you have to understand what the circumstances are and what can happen. And then you govern yourself accordingly. I believe that anybody who is on disability ultimately wants to return to work. 
disability benefits do not pay anything close to the full amount of your uh, your income. Even good disability plans, the really premium ones typically top out at around 70 or 75%. Most of them are 60, 65%, maybe two thirds. Uh, most of the teachers in the province have a 50% disability policy. Wow. So it, it is not a case where people want to stay off work for an extended period of time, even if they're feeling better. Most people want to genuinely return to work. And if you are at a point in your in your recovery that going back to work seems like a possibility, I strongly encourage anyone in that situation, including my clients, to go down that road and to understand what lies ahead. And if they are optimistic and if their doctors believe that it's appropriate for them to try, then I think they absolutely should. So in Michelle's case, if she feels like she can handle this and her psychiatrist has already suggested that uh, starting a, a uh, limited job 12 hours a week or volunteering would be appropriate, as long as she feels optimistic about it, as long as Michelle feels that there is at least a reasonably good chance that this will be successful and might lead to a situation where she could return to work, then I would absolutely encourage her to bring, uh, to bring that up with her insurer and to get their approval to start this, whatever the job is or the volunteer position is. Yes, that will bring more scrutiny, but that's the only way, that's the only reasonable way to get from being on disability to a position where you're feeling okay to return to work. You start slow and you ramp it up. And you can't do that without letting your insurance company in. So those are really the two things that I have on the checklist when people talk about returning to work. Do your doctors approve and are you optimistic? And the reason for the second one is even if your doctors are saying it's reasonable for you to try, you're the only one living in your own body. You're the only one that is living with your own thoughts. Mm -hmm. if, if you do not feel that it is likely you are going to succeed, it is very unlikely that you will succeed. And I'm not saying it's a, you, you know, if you believe it, it'll come true. I, I don't think that that's at all the case. But I'm saying that if knowing yourself and knowing how you feel, you have reason to believe you'll be successful, then you probably will. You are going to be a much better judge of what you can and can't do than anybody else who's not living in your body. So if your doctors say good idea and you say, I think it can work, then by all means, bring it up with your insurance company. That's the way that I would approach it. Of course, you have to be prepared that the insurance company is going to now have uh, a much keener eye on what's happening. They're going to want more updates and they are going to be pushing you to progress down that road. And you have to be prepared for that, which is why I say you have to be optimistic. You know, if you feel like it's a good thing for you to try to return, then that kind of additional scrutiny probably isn't such a big deal for you. But if you're pessimistic, and now you have your insurance company on your back checking in with you and making sure that you're continuing to go each day or each week or however many hours you're supposed to go. That's additional pressure. And especially for someone who's suffering from a mental health issue, that is just going to compound things. So it, it is a big issue if you are not optimistic about it. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because, I mean, <laughs> it's going to cause us some mental stress, too, this whole thing, right? Because she wants to obviously make some money. Her doctor's saying, yeah, but the insurance company's looming over saying, eh, watch it. It's not a comfortable thing to be going through, right? 
Oh, for sure. And I don't actually see this as Michelle saying, oh, I just want to earn a little extra money. But she's even talking about a volunteer position. I think this is yeah. genuinely coming from a place where she wants to get herself back to work. And if that is a situation and your doctor is saying it's okay, then by all means, the only caveat, I know we're almost out of time. The only caveat is when you get the approval from your doctor, you want to make sure that they don't use definitive language unless it's absolutely the case. Got you it. want them to say, I believe it's reasonable to try. And we are done for the day. Appreciate your input. Phones, otherwise, you want to reach out to James now. No problem. 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca and the website on its own, disabilityrights.ca as well. We'll catch you next time in the Disability Law Show.